0: Now, Pastor this morning has asked me to read his text this morning. So if you wouldn't mind, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. I'll be reading the central text for his message. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 2. If you're there, say amen. amen. <laughs> I hear some pages, but I hear a lot of clicking. <laughs> That's all right. We're a click church right now. <laughs> all right. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Excuse me, starting in verse 3. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let Down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorifying God, saying, We never saw anything like this.
1: Last week I spoke on the transcendency of our God across the nations, across this world, transcends all other gods, He transcends all the images, He transcends all the power of the ages and the age rulers of darkness. You and I serve a God, ladies and gentlemen, that is omnipotent, and I'm glad I have a biblical worldview to direct me in a world that needs some Father God's love in it. Can you say amen? I had John read my text because I'm past 50, and I've been diagnosed with cataracts, and I'm having trouble with these lives. <laughs> I didn't say Cadillacs, I said cataracts. Wow. Just, uh, I want to tell you about this Bible. Uh, Now, I I want you to be involved in that to tremendous teachers. I can't preach everything I need to preach on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and I want you to be involved in these classes because it will change your life. It will help you so much. I want to say thank you to all of you who will be helping us tomorrow in the uh, memorial service for Brother Warren. 30 years he was our missions director, uh, a member here all those years. And the last four or five years, he went to Weatherford. And he thinks he retired four and a half years ago, but he went out there and pastored a church uh, in Weatherford. Drove out there every weekend, so uh, then he went home to be with the Lord. I'll be honored to uh, be a part of that service tomorrow. It seems like to me, uh, as I get a little bit of time on me, that. I've kind of noticed that it seems like to me life uh, is intensifying. I will tell you this, how many of you feel like life's speeding up, time's running fast? Does it seem like to you, I think the Lord just pushed pause in our brain, rushed us forward and we don't know it. (laughs) I feel like that sometimes. I remember when I was a young boy, We finally I was 12 years old before we had a television, and it was an old black and white Philco, and I remember... I remember a cartoon on Sunday mornings which was simply a cat and he was being pushed or something down a hallway and he had all four scratching trying to slow down. (laughs) I feel myself going down a hallway of life trying to scratch with all fours and say, just give me a minute. (laughs) How many of you are busy enough? Boy, if you didn't raise your hand, can I fix you up? (laughs) I can fix you up. Life intensifies. It demands multiply. Pressure seem to build. And we are in a very, very pressured society. Time, I've learned, seems like diminishes as a fleeting things. And the, I've learned this much. I thought that I owned things all my life. And I've now realized that I don't own anything. Everything I think I own, owns me. Let me tell you what I mean. My yard that I think I own says, you mow me. My car says, wash me. My house says, maintain me, insure me. <laughs> the dirty dishes say, wash me. Although the kids are out of the house now and my wife and I, I love doing dishes because they're paper. <laughs> I like the way I do dishes. I like, I like it. The engine oil says, change me. Good night. The garage says, sweep me. And the bills say, pay me. And when you arrive at the time of year which we're about to look at, I call it the time when the eyes of taxes are upon us. Taxes say, I dare you not deal with me. You ever feel like you, you? I've decided that I've always been against cloning, but I made this decision if I could get one or two more like me and I could control all three of us, I might consider it. <laughs> I know, that's pagan of a pastor. You ever feel like you just need some help, you need, need somebody to give you a lift? I, I, I don't know what to entitle this message. I, I think I want to say counsel for the defense counsel for the defense of some people who need some help. I want to to call us today to be spirit lifters. I want you to hear the message this morning of how badly we are needed in a society that is decaying spiritually. Two separate messages. I'm going to ask John to return in just a moment. I, I want to couple these together, these two different thoughts, to let the Holy Spirit say something to us that's important to us. I want to go over to the book of Jeremiah just for about three
0: verses. John, thank you for helping. Read with me in Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the herd of the Daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people?
1: Known as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah shows some of the heaviness about his heart that God had put a prophecy and a place to minister on him. Knowing that there was, Jeremiah asked, "Is there a bomb or a healing salve for this nation?" Knowing that there was, he asked, "Is there a physician that can help this nation?" Then he poses an extremely strong point. He makes the statement, "Knowing that there was a, a a healing salve that would come from the Lord, and knowing that the great physician." our God would heal, he asked this question, then why are the people not recovered? It's as if he is saying, somebody's not doing their job. If this is the case, why are we in this situation? I I don't want to sound negative today by any means, but I want to tell you, I believe the United States of America needs a revival from the ground roots up. We said in 1963, Lord, you get out of our classes, get out with your prayer, we're going to take your book out, and I will tell you that America, from my perspective, and some of you are so young, you don't remember that, I think America has digressed from there morally and spiritually and in every way. Because when you take God out of the center, everything decays. And I, I don't mean that in the negative. I'm I'm, I'm arrested like Jeremiah. I, I I have so much so much passion in me to try to say, America, we better get back to the Lord. And yet today people will not endure sound doctrine. It's a difficult place to feel like a minister today. We would here's the crux of the message. We who have great spiritual light, and how many of you know we do have great spiritual light? We who have great spiritual knowledge, and John, there isn't a person in here except you that knows it all, okay? Knowledge. We who are are twice born men and women and young people, uh, filled with the Spirit of our God and the, the The discernment of the Spirit that gives us a concept of how to handle life. This book deals with real life. We who have great privilege, we who have a cure for the sin problem. I declare to you today, mom, dad, young person, male, female, rich, bond, poor, free, doesn't matter. Listen. You are a spiritual physician with spiritual medicine and spiritual resources. And God calls us today to be spirit-lifting, spirit-filled, godly people. So I ask this question, why are our neighbors still ill? I've learned lived live long enough that At one time or another, I've learned you're going to need the attention of a physician more than I'd like to this last year. At one time or another, everybody will need some help, someone to give them a lift. I declare to you this world and our nation is suffering from people that are in darkness. They have no concept. And because there's a satanic lying spirit and we are being inundated with messages of religion everywhere, ladies and gentlemen, we need the pure word of God. And we who are called with much must be about the master's business. Sometimes those who can help and, and I know, I run into it all the time. If, how many of you know that there's a, there's a, a light down here that gives direction and it's, it's green as much as it is red? Or it's at least green sometime. But every time you stop to get uh, instructions, directions or something, they'll always say, go to the what light? Red light. Why don't you say green light? Too many people, the glass is always half empty and never half full. We live in a negative connotation. And, and it's so easy sometimes. You, people that could help are riddled with excuses. Because they live on the negative side. For instance, if you're sad and you go to try to get some help or you go share some... Man, I need your prayer. I need your help. I'm sad. They know someone who's in an insane asylum because they've been sad. It's worse than yours, and I know this is going to go over like a pork chop in a synagogue. But we're that way sometimes. We we want to help, and we go tell somebody our problem. They know somebody's got one ten times as bad. Like like you you fall down and you get injured with a. It's amazing you get a scratch knee and you tell somebody about. They know somebody that died from a scratch knee. That's not much encouragement when you need help. (laughs) Job had that kind of friends. Man, by the time Zophar and Eliphaz and Bildad and his wife got through with Job, is it any wonder that his faith survived? Thank God for some people who have the goods and says, though God slay me, I will trust him. And his faith says, I know that even if I die, and even in my flesh, though the skin worms eat my flesh, I know I will in my flesh stand before the Almighty. We need some of that back in the ilk of our society. In contrast to all of that, John read in Mark 2, it's also in Matthew 9 and Luke 5, here's a man who had four wonderful friends, genuine friends I might add, who knew how to give a lift literally to someone in need. Four genuine friends who knew what their friend needed and did it for him. This man was paralyzed. He couldn't walk, couldn't help himself by any means. When you get at verse 12, Pastor John read it of Mark 2, it ends with this. It said, The man, <laughs> this man can thank God for some helpers who gave him a lift. I want you to listen to what these three men did. Because God's calling you. Pastor, who are you talking to? I'm talking to you. Young or old, ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us back into the ministry of being compassionate for the lost of this world. There are people who are helpless by the millions. They're on student campuses, young people at the job, mom and dad. They are on airplanes, in restaurants, in hospitals. They are everywhere without any kind of answers whatsoever. We're traveling like on a a roller coaster and we think we have answers, but we are so empty, our nation is without a godly direction. So listen to what these men did. The first thing I want to observe is this. They knew their friend had to get to the right person, Jesus. Say all you want to with all the philosophy and all the education, all the mass media uh, that we have, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you Jesus is still the only answer for this nation. Human beings mean well, people do care sometimes, and they can do much. But folks, listen, some things only God can do, and only Jesus can be the great physician for the soul and the sin that so besets us. Friends can pray and agree and aid, but God is always the source. You and I can't heal anybody, but our efforts to minister and be spirit lifters can put them in a place where their minds can be Touched by the Spirit of God and their entire lives can be changed. Not to mention their destiny in eternity. Often we quote James in the New Testament especially about healing. And we say this, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. It's simply a a sign of faith. And in the name of the Lord... At the prayer of the faith shall save the sick. But many times we stop there. But it goes on to say, And the Lord shall raise him up. We often, too many times, I think, fix our eyes on men and personalities and abilities. I want to tell you, some of you know, I had for the first time in my life, I've had lots of surgeries because I've cut myself good night stitches all over my body if they were there. If I had had all the needles sticking in me that I've had in my body, I'd look like a porcupine. (laughs) Because you all think I'm accident prone, don't you? Thank you, Terry, I appreciate that unbelievable listen to this we have we we have people that care and but i want to tell you people do have a part they have a part thank god for the army of the cross thank god they can agree with us in prayer Thank God they can can help us in the Spirit bind a, a spirit of Satan and we can take authority. And thank God they can instruct us and encourage us as I've said and lift us up again and again. And like the Holy Spirit being the paraclete, come alongside of us. Where would we be today in this room, every one of us, if we didn't have someone at some time in the past to help pick us up? But the bottom line is this, the Lord shall raise them up. I started to say I had surgery this year and I I, I realized how vulnerable we are. I, You know, I sort of thought I was bulletproof and all that and I realized that the scripture that said in Him we live and move and have our being is an entirely different connotation today. And I thank God for physicians and all that help but I want you to know healing is built into this body by the one who designed it. However, It's Jesus, however, it's our business, our task, our assignment to be lifters of the family. It is our task, our assignment to be burden bearers. And thank God it is Jesus who is the miracle worker and in the miracle business. But saints, our job is to lift up a brother and a sister and a neighbor. But more needed than the lift of sympathy and emotional support in our society, ladies and gentlemen, never forget, we can be encouraging, but we must get this world to the healer called Jesus Christ. They got him to Jesus. The second thing these men did, they determined against obstacles and circumstance. I love the word determined. This much I know. It will never be convenient to do the work of intercessory prayer. As a matter of fact, Satan will see that it's not convenient to pray at all because let us make a New Year's resolution or let us make a dedication to get back to our knees for the Lord and you see if you're not bombarded by every kind of thought in the world when you kneel before the Lord. It's, let me tell you, it is a spiritual battle to pray. But the good news is the Spirit of God will come upon us, ladies and gentlemen. It, it is never going to happen by accident. We must determine if we're going to be much for God, we must be much with God. We want the Lord to bless our lives, but if we're not much with Him, God cannot do much for us. These lifters, watch this. Here was the house. The whole place was filled and the Lord was teaching. They couldn't get in the house, the crowd and even outside in hearing distance. Back in those days, they had staircases up outside the house and on the roof where they spent a lot of their life. They hung their clothes out and all that on the roof. And these four men not only made some kind of bed, got all the ropes together on each side, they carried their friend up the side of that building over to the roof, tore the roof out, tore the ceiling out. Can you imagine all that going on? I I don't know how all that happened. But they took all the tile off. They did all that to get their friend to the Lord. They had to do something tangible to see something supernatural. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that we have to be obedient in the calling of our lives. And let me just tell you, God has called every one of us to be spirit lifters, encouragers. The counsel for the defense is this, our world is dying in darkness and God has called you and me to be in this marketplace. The scripture is true, a light on a hill cannot be hidden. Ladies and gentlemen, we must be sure that our light is not out in this dark hour as Christians representing the answer to this society. Pastor, what does that mean? It means you at the gas station. It means you at the hospital. It means you in a restaurant. It means you on an airplane. It means you at the workplace. It means you on the college and high school and middle school campus. It means you everywhere you go. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to use us with a Spirit-led mind to do something about those who are perishing today. Praise God, these men didn't pause because of public opinion. Praise God, they didn't stop because of political correctness. (laughs) <laughs> I've said before I've learned I've I've worried all my life about what people are going to think of me what are they going to think what are they going to think what are people going to think what are they going to think and I realize everybody has an opinion and they have it but I've also learned Satan will get me to think of that hours on hours on hours every day and he'll use all the negatives I've done before and tell me what a fool and a failure and on and on I am but I have news for you I've learned that all the people that you're worried about and you're worried about them thinking about you they're not thinking about you at all. <laughs> they don't think about you. But Satan will sure wear you out with that. How many of you know that's true? They didn't stop at political correctness. Praise God they didn't hesitate because of social acceptance. They didn't get discouraged just because it wasn't easy. They determined. Young people hear me. Parents hear me, grandparents, very little is accomplished for God by accident. If anything genuinely good happens about our life, if we're used to do anything good in somebody else's life, it is because we are a determined disciple. I'm going to go back here with a book I've read a long time ago and And I'm going to take us back into some history. And there's some young people here that weren't even alive when this happened. So I guess that ages me some, huh? I want to go back to a man by the name of Charles or Chuck Colson. He was next door to the president, Nixon, back in the 70s, when the Watergate scandal just barraged this nation. And some of you are old enough to remember the name and the situation, one of the ugliest times when we impeached a president. I was thinking about it the other day. But I want to show you something about this. This is a just a little bit from his book. On January 31, 1975, I walked out of prison gates free after seven months inside. But as a new Christian, I was unsure of the future groping for God's will, trying to understand the tumultuous events that had brought me to this place. I had surely known the heights and depths of life, from that of having power, wealth, prestige, and an office next door to the President of the United States, to the confining walls of a dreary prison. But along the way, I had made, most of the, made the most important discovery anyone can make. That came about on a hot, sultry night in August 1973. As the Watergate scandal was rocking this nation in the Nixon presidency, I was proud, self-assured on the outside, fearful and trembling within. I visited a close friend, Tom Phillips, at his home. Phillips was a successful business executive and client who I had learned had some kind of religious experience. That evening, Tom told me of his encounter with Jesus Christ, how his life had been dramatically changed. I listened intently. I had never, this is a man of power and position, and he's up in his 40s, almost 50, and he said, I have never heard anyone talk this way. How many of you know that's a very sad statement? I plead the counsel of the defense. You need to speak up for God today. Say amen. I'd never heard anyone talk this way. Though something stirred within me, I kept my emotions in check, too proud to let him know what I felt inside. I felt my friend that I left my friend that night promising only to read a little book which he gave me called Mere Christianity. But in his driveway that night, the dam burst. I could not drive the car. I was crying too hard, calling out to God with the first honest prayer of my life. I sat there alone in the driveway for a long time, but really not alone at all. In the high powerful places of this nation somebody needed someone to lift their spirit. I plead with you there are young people in darkness there are Adults in darkness that need a divine anointed you to speak into their life. I love to see what I call a divine compulsion upon a human being. A man, a woman, a young person under a selfless Holy Spirit anointing An appointment. Divine compulsion. That's what caused God to give us His Son. A divine compulsion caused Jesus to give us His life. A divine compulsion sends missionaries and their families to leave all that they know in this nation and other nations to give their life to foreign soil. Divine compulsion sends pastors to pulpits and churches. It sends teachers to classrooms. Read a little church history. Divine compulsion is what sent Billy Sunday along sought-up trails of great revivals. Divine compulsion is what sent Martin Luther to a perishing Europe. Divine compulsion will send a God-fearing, God-loving children, loving parent to their knees when their children are in trouble. They'll have an altar in the living room or the bedroom. It's divine compulsion because we know we need supernatural help. We do something that may seem foolish in the natural. But I want to tell you, I'm glad many times in a little house in the country that my mom and dad, some nights when the enemy had come in against us, they would kneel around the couch. And in the middle of the living room on an old linoleum floor, and we talked to God about what was needed in our home. I cannot get away from those, those pleadings of my big dad and my mom and my three sisters. Let me tell you, it's important to have a divine compulsion in your life. I've had them come. I'll never forget one night I was pastoring in Tyler, Texas. One one Sunday morning, and I had preached and we gave the invitation, people all over the altar. And I had been for three or four weeks with a pinched nerve, and I just was in so much pain I could not get any relief out of it. While I was just walking in the altar it, in, in a great amount of pain, a young boy, teenage boy, got out of the balcony. Walked down the side, walked over, didn't say a word, didn't get a dime's worth of attention. While I'm praying, he simply walked up and touched my shoulder. And I want to tell you something. The second that young man touched my shoulder, God totally relieved that, relieved that pinched nerve. Something comes over you when someone like that touches you. Something, something comes over you. I want to tell you. Something comes over you and something happens inside too. Listen, when somebody robed in the anointing touches you, you're going to know it. I don't even know that young man's name. Don't even remember who he is. But I sure remember how God used him. Too often we wait on the lost one. Let me hit us. Can I hit us this morning? God did not say, wait till they come to you. I believe Jesus said, you go out and you compel them. I believe that's the order. Sometimes we wait for the sick to call upon us. I'll never forget in my first church in a little town in Arkansas. Sorry for the time. I, I didn't know how to pastor. I was pastoring about 50 people in a church that would seat about 80, maybe 100. And, and I, I had a lady call me and she said, Pastor, there's sister so-and-so. I hadn't been there three months. I didn't know this lady. She'd never been to church. She lives out so-and-so. And this was a lady up in her late 80s. She said, I want you to come by my house, pick me up. We're going to go over there and anoint this lady so that God can heal her. <laughs> And I said, okay, yes, ma'am. I'll obey the orders. I got in my car and helped this. I think she's about 85 or so lady in my car. And uh, she she reached in her purse and she pulled out a quart of olive oil. (laughs) And she said, Pastor, I hope this doesn't bother you, but I couldn't find a small bottle. We're going to anoint her with this. (laughs) We went about seven, eight miles out in the country. And I helped that little lady. And she got over there. And here was the little lady that was sick, was a friend. And she said, <laughs> She said, me and the man of God have come to anoint you. And I went. <laughs> I felt like I felt like Gideon. Who, 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 I'd never been called that before. But it put a mantle on me that I have never got away from. It gave me a a faith. That lady, that older lady, she just took that bottle and poured that out there. I would have never used that much. I would have just touched it. She got a palm full of that oil and put that on that lady's head and prayed for her. And I'm going, just like the Scripture, I've never seen it like that before. (laughs) She put that on that lady's head. We went to pray. And that lady raised those hands. Got up out of that wheelchair. Because she just couldn't get around very good. And we started walking in that little living room out in that country home. Because God had walked in that place. Somebody with a divine compulsion had obeyed the Lord. I want you to notice something. Lastly, and I'll be closing, they saw their mission accomplished. Jesus first said this. Pastor read it a while ago Son, your sins are forgiven you. Watch that. Watch that. Do you know why they let him down? You know why they did all that? Because he was paralyzed. But watch what Jesus said first Sons, your sins be forgiven you. And later he would say, Arise, take up your bed, and go. Here's the point. The Christ saw a need that the rest of their friends did not see. They lifted a broken body, but Jesus lifted the weight of a broken soul inside that man. He gave this man more than physical help and more than physical therapy. He gave him more than temporal ease. Jesus, when he spoke to him, gave him forgiveness and an infusion of life where before it rushed in the place where death had been there. That's what happened to Chuck Colson. That's what happened to me when a divine compulsion of God came over me. That man left there a different person. He was whole physically and he was whole spiritually and he was happy. But watch this. There were four others that were happy too. They were called four spirit lifters. And God wants us to help do something about the lost in this society. My prayer people are coming. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to ask God to do two things. I want Him to break our hearts for the darkness in this world. I want to ask the Lord to divinely give us another divine compulsion that we won't just live in ease that we'll do something. I want you to look at me a moment. I know we have some first time guests and a lot of folks out of town and some people ill. I want you to listen to me. God is calling you where you are with people you know. Or people you're going to meet. I'm asking the Spirit of God to put that divine compulsion in every one of our lives. And we're going to say, Lord, put that in me. I'll be obedient to it. You don't have to be a theologian. All you got to know is what God's done for you. And God will use that. You don't have to feel embarrassed. You don't have to make a scene. Several years ago, right down the road, I happened to I happened to stop to get gas and put my card in. Right, right across the island was a great big huge black brother, just a I mean a a, a Ron mixer size guy. And in the natural I'd be afraid of him. He's just so big. But I said, How you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. And just like that, just like that. It doesn't happen every day, but I felt the Lord say, Ask him how he's doing again. I had to ask him how are you doing, and he said, Fine. And so the Spirit prompted me, so I, I kind of stepped over and I said, Sir, he said, Yeah. I said, How are you really doing? that six foot five, I don't know what this guy, monster of a man, dropped his head and began to weep and he said, I'm not doing good at all. And I said, I just feel like maybe you and I should have prayer. And that guy put his arm on my shoulder and I prayed with him. And the Lord touched this man and he said, I'm a believer. I was carrying a load. And he said, thanks for being sensitive to the Lord. We're supposed to be spirit lifters. Spirit lifters. It's your job. It's your job. And I'm here pleading, not only with you, not only with you to be sensitive to the Spirit, but I'm pleading counsel for the defense. You are the only person someone may have Young people, you may be the only Bible. You may be the only thing that by means by which they touch the Lord. I pray you pray, God, give me a divine compulsion. Give me, give me the, the courage. Place that unction in
0: me, Lord, so I can affect someone's eternity.